0: From the campaign trail to the studio, Wesley Hunt continues the fight. Along with his brother Rendon, they chronicle their family experience from slavery to West Point in four generations. Tackling the difficult conversations facing our country, they're on a mission to preserve the American dream. Buckle up and welcome aboard. You're in the hunt. I'm Wesley Hunt. I'm Rendon Hunt. And you're in the hunt. Another know the week has gone by. I would like to tell you, sir, I really like your shoes. Pretty good looking. Yeah, we're, they're the same shoes. Our sister got us for these shoes for Christmas, and I guess great minds think alike, I they're see. They're good looking. They're, they're, they're really good cool looking. boots. Thank yeah. you, Dahonyi, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it. Love you, sister.
1: It's a good Christmas present.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so this week, uh, we uh, want to talk about a topic that I think is really important, particularly what we're seeing in the world today. and and the topic is, you know, how can we be the change that we want to see in the world? And we want to piggyback that, I think, a little bit on last week uh, where we were talking about love your neighbor as yourself. And the biggest question is, is this, if you don't love yourself, then how can you possibly love your neighbor? That transitions in today, if you don't love yourself, and then how can you love your neighbor, then how can you be the positive change that you want to be? Does that make sense? It sure does, and I think that we
1: live in a world right now where we have more access to information than we've ever had before. I would make the argument that we're exposed to too much (laughs) information. Yeah. If you look at the past, and this is not only in this country, this is globally, there was a time not too long ago in the context of civilization where you had individuals that had read every book yeah. that had been written. Think about it. They had a collection of all the knowledge that had been chronicled. You had individuals in the history of the world who were there. Yeah. And now we're in a position where it's information overload, information overload. So as we think about being that change, as we think about the different outlets to institute change, we're in a position now where we have less and less excuses to understand and know what needs to be changed. Yes. It's right in our face all the time. It's slapping us in the face all the time.
0: Yeah, we're, we're the first generation to walk around with a supercomputer in our hands 24 hours a day, seven days a week. With an infinite amount of information being fed to us at all times. So I guess like, you're bringing up a good question. You know, how, do you, how do you even self-identify on what good change is? when you're inundated with an infinite amount of information. And I think that's where you have to really look deep within yourself and figure out, well, what is good? What is good change for the world? I think everybody has a different idea and a different definition of what that looks like. I think what our family has chosen to do is sacrifice good change for the world. What are we going to do to set up our future posterity? your two kids, my two kids, their grandkids, what are we going to do right now to set them up for the future? And then what are we going to do to be change agents to make that happen? I think that's part of the reason why we're sitting here right now in these seats, because we view that this is an opportunity to change the world for the better. Part of the reason why I ran for office was because I saw some things that I would like to change for the better. And so I put myself and my family in that position and put us out there to do that. But the question is, is this, the age old question is, everybody is called to do something. Hey. Everyone is called to serve in a positive way in some capacity. For you, it was unfortunately serving in the Navy, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Who goes to West Point and then goes to the Navy? This guy. For others, it's becoming teachers. Uh, For Emily, it's becoming a nurse practitioner. Um, For our mother, it was staying at home and raising us, also a form of service. But I think for those people that don't necessarily know kind of where their road is, I think it's incumbent upon them to find it. Absolutely. I mean, because you're
1: going to make some change, (laughs) Jaymoni. Change. Okay? (laughs) (laughs) So... I I couldn't agree with you more.
0: I think that <laughs> If the Michael you, Jackson <laughs> reference. Monet. <laughs> I think that
1: you're absolutely right because there's a piece of our culture where the perfect is the enemy of the good. Oh yeah. So That's when awesome. we think about changing things, we think about changing things to get to the point of Perfection yeah of being like somebody, and we talked about this a little bit last week. We try to become bootleg or fraudulent versions of somebody else, yeah rather than becoming the best versions of ourselves and instituting that change that's going to make us amplify who we are, yeah you know we become the guy on cable instead of the guy <laughs> on direct TV. <laughs> this is what we do, and i've really thought from a skill set standpoint, and this is what we've really struggled with about how to make changes and, and how to amplify our voice and who we are and what we do, it's been hard for us in corporate America yeah. to amplify what our skill set is. Yes, Our skill set is communicating with people, understanding people, empathizing, getting to know them, yes. hearing their values, sharing our values, being consensus builders. One of the things that, that we have never been, we've never been click guys. Yeah. I can honestly say that all my days in high school and in college, I didn't sit with the same group of people all the time. Yes. Dahang is like that too, our sister. She sure is. Same way. And there's really two schools of thought that we approach in terms of self-embetterment. One school of thought is, I have XYZ deficiencies. So I'm going to work on maximizing my potential on my deficiencies. Another school of thought is, these are the things I'm really good at. How can I maximize the things that I'm really good at? There's a third one that's a little bit of both, or a little bit of a, a hodgepodge of the two. But when I think about making change, I really do think that there's a broader opportunity to amplify our voices and double down on the things that are our gifts and are our skill
0: sets and that we can add to the world. Great. And when you talk about double down, th- literally this example just, pop- just popped into my head. <clears throat> I think about Pat Tillman. Hmm. Pat, Tillmer was, w- Pat Tillman was one hell of a football player. Yeah. Arizona Cardinals, I mean, a- NFL, very lucrative contract. But he always had this piece of him that felt like he wanted to go serve in some capacity in the military. But the opportunity really wasn't there for him. And, you know, he's planning in the NFL. His brother was actually uh, in the Ranger Battalion, if I'm not mistaken, serving. And then 9-11 happens. And and I heard this. I read the story about him sitting in the locker room when 9-11 happened. And he's sitting there. Looking at the TV, now everybody else was watching and everyone else was talking and kind of going back and forth, but apparently as somebody uh, retold the story, he kind of sat in the corner and he had this look in his eye. Hmm. This very solemn look in his eye and he couldn't take his eye off the television. So what was Pat Tillman's skill? What was his gift? It was intensity. Hmm. The guy was a safety in the NFL. He was a leader, a natural leader, a quiet leader. He is someone that believed in his country. He believed in sacrifice. Maybe he wasn't in the position at that time to sacrifice, but he believed in it. And when he saw 9-11 happen, he wanted to be the change that he believed in. So he quits the NFL, and he enlists into the military, becomes a ranger, and unfortunately, as the story goes with him, he was killed in combat. Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody should just sure. enlist and go, fight into, and, and go fight a war. But here is somebody that looked intrinsically, saw an opportunity to maximize his potential, sure. and then became the change that he wanted to be in the world, even if it cost him his life.
1: Well, and change takes courage. Oh. It takes a lot of courage. Because the easiest thing to do is to stay on the road that you're on to look around, just fog up your own mirror, <laughs> everything's okay, to just stay there, to just let gravity take you wherever it's taking you. And one of the things I think of, especially this being Black History Month, yeah. I think about Martin Luther King and change. I was change. just gonna talk about that. Right? Yes. There's actually two people I think quite a bit of in terms of change. I think about two of the stalwarts of the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And I'll tell you why I think about each of those individuals. Martin Luther King, you talk about the I have a dream speech, that my children will one day live in a world, live in a country where they won't be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, right? The idea when he talks in beautiful alliteration about different colors of people coming together. The change that he wanted to see that at that time did not seem possible. Yeah. And you look at where we are now, and you look at what our parents did, and you look at the schools that we went to, being the only black kids at times. Yeah. But how do you get to a place where you have a rainbow of kids? Start somewhere. You gotta start with change. Start you have to somewhere. have one black kid, you have to have two black kids. And you know what? It takes parents having the foresight to see in order to get to that dream of change Our that kids somebody like the Dr. Martin Luther King had, we have to institute things that allow them to get there. The second person I think about change, Malcolm X. What I love about Malcolm X's story, and unfortunately, we cut Malcolm X's story
0: off. Yeah. Okay? The rebirth after he came back from, from uh, Mecca. From Mecca. Yeah.
1: We talk about Malcolm X in terms of what happened leading up to his discovery of what Islam truly is. Okay? That's what we talk about. So leading up to that, it's this militant exoskeleton that is rooted in hating people because of their race. Yeah. But then he goes on his pilgrimage and he comes back, and this is where the change is so profound and interesting and costs him his life. Yeah. He comes back and he says, wait a minute. These are all God's creations. These are all God's people. How can we figure out how to live in harmony together? Regardless of what you look like. But the courage it took him to make that change, the courage that he knew that he would be persecuted for that. Yeah. He knew that people wouldn't like it, and he ultimately gave his life for that. Yes, But that's the change, like seeing the change and being accountable for the change that needs to happen in this world. There's an accountability piece of this too. There's courage, but then there's also accountability. It's really easy to see things in to turn of blind eye.
0: And back to Martin Luther King Jr., his crusade was rooted and steeped with peace, peaceful protest no matter what, at all cost. We are going to do this peacefully. That's how change happens, not by burning things down, not by destroying infrastructure, not by looting and robbing, but through peace. the wheels of justice turn slowly, Mm -hmm. but increasingly fine. He understood that. He also understood that in order for him to get any kind of legislation done, like the Civil Rights Act of 64, it was going to have to be done, and the people that were holding the pen to sign this into law were going to be entirely white. So he had to figure out a way to peacefully bring people to the table from all walks of life in order to get this done. And like our dad always tells us, you, you could be mean about it, but you probably won't get it. But, but what if you're nice about it? What if you're patient about it? There's a piece of, of this in terms
1: of compromise uh, yeah. that, that becomes really interesting too. Because we live in a world where we want so badly for people to be all good, are oh. all bad. We crave that. We want it so badly. We want to demonize people. Yeah. We, want to, we want to make people saints. We want to canonize them. We, we want so badly for people to just be good or bad, black or white. I was having a conversation with my wife yesterday. I'm reading this book about Crazy Horse and the Indian Wars. And one of the pieces of history that we don't ever really talk about Uh, And you're seeing it right now with the $20 bill and and people's thoughts on Andrew Jackson. One of the pieces of history that we don't often talk about, though, is Abraham Lincoln being a captain in the army that was fighting the Indian Wars, right? Yes. Because we want so badly for Abraham Lincoln to be a social justice person in 2021 that we don't even step back and think about, even Abraham Lincoln, to a certain extent, was a man of his time. Yes, Because we want so badly for people to be all good or all bad. In order to truly institute change, we have to accept that people are people and they are flawed. And it takes compromise to get to that change. So we must also make the decision in the conscious effort to amplify the good things in people, but figure out how we can work with them to get things done. Yeah. And if we can't do that, they'll never be compromised. there will never be growth. We will stagnate. That's what, when people talk about diversity and inclusion, what's important about diversity and inclusion, diversity of thought is so important. We get wrapped around diversity of thought from the standpoint of black or white or religion. And we're not having a whole lot of conversations about diversity of thought from somebody who grew up poor, who didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. We're not thinking about diversity of thought from the perspective of somebody who grew up with a really rough childhood, who was molested as a child, like the diversity of thought that all these other things can bring, bring in that are beyond just the way we look and the color of our skin. And until we can really learn how to embrace different types of diversity as well, we're doomed, we'll never really have diversity of thought. It's diversity in a box.
0: Right now we're having, in our society, we're having a a privileged conversation. We're we're having a privileged competition. Who had more privilege for whatever reason? if If you're paying attention. And one thing I always talk about, especially when I was on the campaign trail was I feel like our family, we had parent privilege. Absolutely. Now this is something that nobody wants to talk about is parent privilege. And parent privilege actually sees no race, religion, color, or creed. Having two parents that were there for us, that disciplined us, that raised us in Christ, we had a father that didn't miss a game yeah. that we had. I mean, three year, I spent three years on varsity football. My dad did not miss a single football game. The, the, the idea of the sacrifices that they made for us to be here is a privilege that, quite frankly, I wouldn't trade for the world. But I think what you're trying to get to, and I totally agree with you, and that's like, let's, let's stop having these you know, privilege competition wars. Privilege offs. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, like, like you're These privilege offs. Privilege like, offs. You, you're yeah. more privileged than I am. Like, oh, I had it harder well, than you. Well, I had it harder did, than but. you, or you had it better than me, or you look like this, therefore. You don't know the half of what people have gone no. through in their entire lives. And just because they may have a lot of money or a lot of things, that, that, that doesn't mean that you would trade places with them if you knew the full story.
1: Hey, remember that song, <laughs> that him. What a
0: privilege.
1: Yeah. yeah. Priv no not Yeah, a pri- yeah. What a, a
0: privilege to. It's a three I,
1: I still remember that <laughs> in in childhood. It's a, the song What a Friend You Have in Jesus. And then they have the point, What a privilege. And I'll never forget we were listening to that in church. And you asked mom after that, you're like, Mom, what's a privilege? <laughs> way longer word than it than it seems like it like it should be. But we do. We we decide to have these these privilege offs where we want to tell people how you had it better than this person, you had it better than this person. And quite frankly, it goes back to even the idea of native americans. You know, everybody wants to talk about, well, our background sucked more than your background or our background was worse. It's like all right, guys, like everybody's had like let's figure out how to how to move forward. It goes back to the story of Esther, right? Yeah. So my daughter was on a tire swing. She was pushing a tire swing with a friend of hers. And she would push the tire swing, would be on it, and then her friend would come and push the tire swing, and and Esther would would ride on it. And they're going back and forth, and I'm just watching them at the park. It's a very nice day. Esther comes back to me after pushing the tire swing. And once again, from the mouths of kids, you hear such profound insights. I asked Esther what I realized now was an idiotic and loaded question. I asked her, who's stronger? She wasn't even thinking about that. She was having fun with a friend. Yeah. And I made it this competition because that's how we've become conditioned and programmed. Yeah. They have it right. That's how we've become conditioned and programmed. What'd she say? She looked at me and she said, Dada, we're both strong.
0: Yeah. That might be one of the most profound things I think I've ever heard in my life.
1: We're both strong. Somebody else doesn't have to be weak. For you to be strong. For you to be strong. You can both be strong. We can get to a place where we have change and where we have compromise without
0: somebody being weak. And trampled upon. The pie is big enough for everybody. Yes. You're all pretty. It's yes. okay.
1: Yes. But that's not the way that we want to see it. We, want, we, we think that life becomes a zero-sum game. Yeah. And it's not a zero-sum game. It's not. And I think quite frequently as we think about change starting with us, because let's think about this. We're all microcosms of something else. You know, I'm a microcosm of the Hunt family. You know, my my family is a microcosm of the community. The community is a microcosm of the state. The state's a microcosm of the country. The country's a microcosm of, of the world. We're all microcosms of, of something. Yes. So as we think about being the change that, that you wanna see, there's part of this piece too, from the accountability standpoint, Where we have to be really honest about what we're doing and our role in that change. We have to be really honest about who we are and about what our deficiencies are and about what we're bringing to the table. And then not
0: only that, being the change we want to see and then actually living it is also another issue that I kind of see. And that is, we are also microcosms, as you point as you pointed out, but we are, also, we are also tribal by nature. It's actually a part of the human condition. We are, in fact, tribal. And if you are not willing to step out of your tribe to understand another tribe, then first of all, you're not gonna learn, therefore, there will be no change. We have some friends and we went to a wedding, it was an awesome wedding, a few years ago, if you recall. And these people are awesome people, you know they are. You know they. I would consider them to be affluent, social ju- social justice warrior type peoples. Sure. And we're at a wedding, and there were and there were five black people there. And they all had the same last name. <laughs> <laughs> Was it Hunt? It may or may not have been Hunt. No, I'm not bagging on these people. I'm not. I'm sure. not. I, if we had a great time, great wedding. They're friends. But you and I have had many conversations about this, and that is, so, so you mean to tell me that in your entire life, you, know, you want to talk about social justice, you want to talk about you know, how can you help you know, the black community or other communities that, are, that, that might be uh, social, socioeconomically challenged, but we're the only black family that you know in your life? Yeah. I, I'm bringing that up because maybe you should challenge yourself to actually go into other communities that don't look like yours. And I'm not saying it has to be the black community. I mean, we were actually, I think, the only people of color there. Yeah. So be careful. You, you need to kind of talk the talk, but also walk the walk. Well, in, in, in terms of
1: even the era that we grew up in, right? the era that our parents grew up in, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but mom used to always tell us, you'll know what people think about you if you try to date their daughter. Oh. Real quick, that's the truth. You find out real quick. It's man. all good and well. He's a really nice guy and stuff, but you know, all of a sudden, when you're when you're going to share popcorn at a movie, well, yeah, some problems there. Yeah, get your hand out my popcorn. Uh, that, <laughs> that's how you really know how people feel about you. Yes. And there's a there's a piece of that. And to your point, not even to disparage people that have limited black friends. I'm just saying, don't lecture me about it. Yeah. Don't lecture me about it. Don't don't explain to me how how woke you are <laughs> and how you believe that everything is wrong. I was watching The Help last night. Yeah. And the only reason I was watching The Help last night is because my wife and I are now having movie night. So, I picked Tropic Thunder
0: <laughs> last week. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> which, you should, which I so think— You didn't watch it two weeks in a row. I'm assuming you, I'm assuming. Well,
1: you, and in many ways, I think it, it shows uh, the level of intellect and insight in our movie choices. My <laughs> wife chooses The Help, which, oh, by the way, I said I was watching The Help last night. I have not finished it because I don't have the attention span to watch a two-hour and 25-minute movie. A movie. And— so we were watching it and there was a point in it what what I love about the movie and this is actually the first time I've seen it what I really like about it is it's really a story about human nature
0: the human condition
1: I mean you see these people that are just jerks in general and they they treat their staff like jerks they treat their friends like jerks they treat their spouses like like jerks they they're in general people who are struggling with their self themselves and therefore they treat others in a negative way. Yes. Interesting thing, and the reason why I bring up the help is there was a moment in the movie where they're treating their staff terribly, and they were having this little community event, and the lady was talking about giving money to the little poor kids in Africa. Okay. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right. And it's it's this whole notion of, you have all these opportunities right here to treat people well. And you're going to ship that money somewhere else for other people and ignore the people that are right in front of you, your neighbors, your community, where you could be doing more for them. And I challenge churches on this all the time. The mission trip mentality Hey, let's go somewhere else and, and and let's let's pay all this money to get flights out to this place, this place, and this place so that we can do mission trips. There's not people in your community that are suffering. We drive past them every day, don't we? And I'm not poo-pooing on that idea more broadly. No, I know' you're not. I think it takes it takes all different <clears throat> types, and I think there's different organizations that are set up to fulfill different missions. But as I said before, we're all a microcosm of different things. Let me tell you what, man, something's going on with my kid. I'm not going to go to my daughter's elementary school to help all the other kids before I help my own kid. If she's struggling in school or if she's struggling with self-esteem, I'm gonna spend my time helping her before I go out of my microcosm to go help everybody else. Now, the important thing is eventually you do have to go out of that microcosm and help everybody else because we've had this conversation many times. It's important for me to be dialed in to what all the kids around my daughter and son are doing as well, because if she's alone, she's screwed. Because you need other people to make change. You have to have a consensus to have people to do the right thing. It's called community.
0: Yes, yes. It's called community. Yes, and without community, we can't do it alone. And we all have to be bought into this community. And what's miraculous about the American experiment is that no matter where you're from, no matter where your heritage might be, again, race, religion, color, or creed, you get the honor of calling yourself an American. We could step inside of a room. There could be 10 different people from 10 different places with 10 different backgrounds. But the community that we claim is America. It is incumbent upon us to take care of each other no matter what. Yeah. Now, you and I, we, we've cheated in our lives. Yeah. Speak to yourself. I haven't cheated. Yeah, you. <laughs> 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 we've cheated. We have had a very blessed, diverse background that started off us growing up in a predominantly white church and champion for Baptist, which I think is one of the best churches in the entire world, particularly at the time when we were there. Yeah, it was a a great youth. children's ministry. It was a great children's ministry. Un- an unbelievable children's ministry. Unbelievable youth pastors. Yeah. And they were all white. Yeah. And treated us like their own. And then you, we go from there to. A, they were all white, but Eric Hill. Eric Hill, you know,
1: he has some. So <laughs> <laughs> just to give some context. <laughs> You're right. This, Eric this Hill had a, a little brother I know. First, first of all, the most incredible. and Eric Hill married both of us, right? Yeah one of the most dynamic youth pastors I've ever seen. You want to talk about Be the Change? This is a guy that circa 1995, 96 was rapping Snoop Dogg with us, yeah. who was putting on Christmas specials where he was playing Homie the Clown. Yes. Well. Well. And had it down. Well. Could beatbox better than I can ever imagine beatboxing? Could ball? Like, I mean, the guy had it, the guy had it all. Yeah. But I, I digress. It's, it still does. I,
0: it still does, man. He still got it, man. It still does. He still got it. <laughs> he still got it, man. And we go from that environment to to St. John's, again, predominantly uh, white private school, to West Point, again, predominantly white college, to the military. The military, in the army, in the navy, is a melting pot we are talking about people from different backgrounds, different different socioeconomic backgrounds, different races, different religions, different parts of the country, and in some cases different parts of the world, because they came here and they became uh, naturalized citizens and then they joined the yep. military. I mean, the, the U.S. Army and the U.S. Navy and U.S. military in general, they, there is no room for a lot of, you know, partitioning people in different places because, first of all, you're here to serve the country, when you deploy everybody wants to get home in one piece and we just want people to do your job
1: Yeah, very diverse like my boy puerto rican mike right <laughs> so please tell the story <laughs> yeah i <laughs> i will sorry mike so mike butler one of my best friends in the entire world his his son mike jr is my godson when my mom met mike and mike is biracial so his mom's white his dad's black and when my mom first met Mike, she couldn't remember his name. So she said, you know, your Puerto Rican friend. <laughs> and I'm like, Puerto Rican. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> and once again, I need to look at myself. I don't think I have enough Puerto Rican friends. For the record, he does look. He, he looks Puerto, Puerto Rican. Rican. He does look Puerto Rican. She's like, you know, you're Puerto Rican friends. <laughs> so that led to, to his nickname being Puerto Rican Mike. Even though the, the guy is not Puerto Rican at all. Yeah, now, but he does speak Spanish. He speaks Spanish. His, his wife is, is from Ecuador, Daniela, one of my best friends in the world as well. And when I first met Mike and we were on the ship together, we were in the wardroom one day, and just as Wesley talked about, you have diversity within the ranks of the military, but at the top, in the officer's ranks, not very diverse. Not a lot of black people. Uh, when Mike got to our ship we were two of the three black officers on the ship and we were pulling into a port and it just so happened that some of our shipmates were going to the opera when we were pulling into this port so mike and i two of the three black officers are in the ward room we're getting some food believe it was around lunchtime and there were Seven or eight other officers in there, all of these other officers were white. And they were talking about what we were going to do when we pulled into port. Well, they said, hey, we're going to the opera. We're going to go see Marriage of Figaro. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, Figaro, Figaro, oh, you're going to go see Marriage of Figaro? <laughs> that, that sounds really cool. I'm not a huge opera person myself, but that sounds like that would be fun. And I look over at Mike, and this is before Mike and I had known each other really well, and he's huffing over there. He just looks mad. It's just like... Oh. It's like mean mugging and huffing. And I'm, I, I'm trying to figure out what went wrong. So I stay around and I stick around because I want to have a conversation with him to figure out what he's all upset about. So everybody else <laughs> leaves the warden room and it's just me and Mike in there. And he just charges me up. He says, man, I can't believe you. It's like, w- w- you can't believe what? I don't understand. Man man, it's 2007, and you going to sit there and let them call me a magical Negro. I was like, what? I said, dude, where's your figure opera, an opera man. Man. <laughs> And ever since then, Mike is known as Magic.
0: So you you want to know what's really funny? He's the Magic Man. You want to know what's really funny? <laughs> I didn't know his name was Mike. So like 10 years later, <laughs> like he was, he was always magic. He was always magic. Magic. Always <laughs> <was> magic. magic. <laughs> magic.
1: That's kind of like, kind of like Trey too. My, my brother-in-law, this is, this is bad too. My brother-in-law is a third. So Winston Eugene Watkins, a third. And keep in mind that my brother-in-law is one of my best friends like, a friend for life. We have been really good friends since I was in the eighth grade and he was in the ninth grade. He's a great dude. He's an incredible guy.
0: Trey is a great, he's, is a great
1: he's dude. He's incredible. One of the best. Yes. One of the best. Yes. And we, of course, call him Trey because he's the third. So imagine all the times that we've been around this family. Trey went to West Point with us as well. High school together. He's high school, my high school classmate. West Point. Reading off diplomas. He was in everything you were in. He was in the same programs that you were in. And at one point, we were in the car driving home. This is me, you, mom, and dad. (laughs) And I said something about the Winstons, you know, talking about Grandpa Watkins, Winston Eugene Watkins Sr., Winston Eugene Watkins Jr., my father in law, and Trey. Winston Eugene Watkins third. I was like, yeah, you know the Winstons, got to see all them. My mom, what do you mean the Winstons? <laughs> the Winstons. Winston Senior, Winston Jr., and Winston the third. Yeah. His name isn't Winston. His name <laughs> is Trey. Trey. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mom. <laughs> in the third. That's Trey. The, the third. Or the third. The third. <laughs> but I think in many ways, too, as, as we think about how do you make these transitions? And I think even that moment in the wardroom was such an interesting opportunity with, uh, with Magic. Because when you get to know people you really see what their triggers could potentially be, yeah. right? And the life that he had lived and what he'd grown up in, I mean, there's a reason why people are not trustworthy of certain things or certain instances. It goes back to our parents' generation. And I would venture to say the change that we've achieved in one generation yeah. was not even imaginable to them. Yes. I mean, it goes back to what you were saying about us walking around with the supercomputer in our pockets. We think about this in terms of the things that we can tangibly see, but think about this from the perspective of where we've gotten
0: technologically. Brendan, we used to go to the movie theater, and we used to have change in our pocket because when it came time for our parents to pick us up, we had to use a payphone. Do we have change so we could be the change? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but you, do you know? Do you know that like that's why they? That's why Fifty Cent goes by Fifty Cent.
1: Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa. Wait a minute.
0: There's coins. No. In currency. Fifty Cent, the rapper. He calls himself Fifty Cent because it's a metaphor for change. Ah.
1: I guess my rap name would be debit card. <laughs> 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 have you <laughs> that's bad, that bad, huh? <laughs> Have you no, Wesley. Well first of all I think it's crazy that we're in a position now where there's a shortage of coins. Yeah. A drastic shortage of coins. And I can say that I'm no part of that transaction at all because the second I see that I don't have exact change it's going on the card 100%. man. 100%. I, I
0: don't I don't want I call, I it, sh- I call it shrapnel. I don't I don't want any shrapnel. I don't
1: even want them in my pocket. man. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't even want them in my
0: pocket. But, anyways, you were saying yeah, about, about the techn- yeah, technologically. Playing. Yeah, we, I mean, but Brandon, right, we were in like middle school and high school when this happened. Yeah. I mean, now look at where we are in just in just like twenty years, Wesley. Think about Zach
1: Morris's phone on oh, Saved by the Bell. My gosh. The, the, oh, the gray
0: one, the big gray one.
1: It was like it, it weighed like two and a half pounds. And, and the funny thing is it was so technologically advanced for the time that he tried to act like you could conceal it. <laughs> <laughs> he tried to act like you could put – it's like, dude, that phone does not fit in your pocket. I mean, think about it. The reason why we had to wear such big pants and sag yeah, in the two Yeah, because you had to th-
0: put your pager in there yeah, and your phone. I, I, and...
1: Remember, the, remember the Nokias that yes. first came out where yes. you? And I had the Texas cover yes. on my Nokia? And to your point, I remember when I was in the seventh grade and I had Mr. Mitchell and we had our big history paper that we needed to turn in. And they mandated that it be turned in on a word processor of some sort. I remember doing that on our typewriter. It was ridiculous to think that everybody had a computer.
0: So you know, you, know, you know what's interesting is that we in this country have progressed so fast from a technological standpoint that there are other countries actually specifically in Africa that didn't go through this infrastructure change at all. And so the first piece of technology that they're actually getting is cell phones. They didn't have pagers. They didn't have payphones. phones. They, they skipped all of that. And we progressed as a country and as a world so fast, and the proliferation of technology happened so quickly that they skipped all that, and now they just know cell phones.
1: Wesley, I would make the argument that if you're an alien that comes and sees the United States from 1960 to now, you would think the same way about our social status in the United States. Oh, wow. In terms of race.
0: Yeah. That's how quick.
1: That's how quick that's happened. I, and that—that's my argument—is that that's very close to what we've seen technologi- technologically. How it's just a flash in the pan, where all of a sudden everything changes, and people get left behind. How do you think it—it it must seem for people who are World War II vets yes. to see a black president, yes. or a black female vice president in their
0: lifetimes? That's nuts. Remember our grandmother, Mame. She passed yes. away. Oh, uh, my goodness. Was that 2007? Yeah. Around there, 2007, I think. And you know, politics aside, I don't really care where we lean on this particular case, she voted for Barack Obama. Yeah. And I will never forget her saying, so she, so she passed away right after, she got to vote for Barack Obama, so it must have been 2009, mm-hmm. 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. And I remember her saying, I, I never thought I'd see the day where I would vote for a black person to be the president. Another crazy story about that. I remember when Barack Obama first decided to really run for office. And he was on the Oprah Winfrey show. Now, I had no idea who he was from a from hole in the wall. I, I didn't know. But I remember kind of seeing the clips of that episode, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, he's, I don't see why not. Uh, I may not be affiliated with that party, but yeah, yeah, I I could totally see that happening. And I remember our mom, my mom, our mom, told me we'll never see a black president in my lifetime. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. And I looked at mom and I said, why? I was actually surprised because I, I, I at no point that I ever think that we wouldn't see a woman or a black president ever in my lifetime. But, but based on, based on where we were in her lifetime at the time, you know, I'm not to mom's age, but you know, about 60 years ago, yeah. that was impossible yeah. to happen. But, but here's the beauty,
1: and this is this is what I think about all the time with our parents. Here's the beauty of what they were able to instill in their kids and the faith that they had in trusting the process, we didn't know they felt that way.
0: Never did, we didn't.
1: That's what's really interesting about yeah, this. Yeah, I was surprised. Because like, I was I, surprised when su- she said that. was surprised to, to hear that they thought that. <laughs> yeah. And the reason I was surprised to hear that they thought that is because They never told us that. I truly grew up believing I could be anything I wanted to be. Yes believing that I grew up where our parents empowered us in a way where I always felt that the gap was going to be my abilities and not the household that I grew up in. Yeah. I sincerely believe that. And I've told you this a million times. Part of what's interesting is our parents have created monsters (laughs) (laughs) because we are true believers. Yes, we are. And that's what, I, what, I, what actually inspires me about our parents is they taught us and instilled things that they didn't even necessarily believe. Yeah. And what's happened as a result is they've made true believers. Like, like my kids, it's completely different. It's the do as I say, not as I do. That's <coughs> the generation that mom and dad came up in. Yeah. It's like, hey, I said it. to so like, you know, hey, because I told you so. We're in a different parenting generation. We're in a parenting generation of higher accountability, of actually giving a reason like, hey, it's not just because I said so, like, what does this really mean? Why should I do this? We're in a different place. And I really respect what our parents were able to do with us by instilling hope and hoping that things would be better in the future. And I'm not sure they even realized
0: how it exceeded their expectation remarkable that was America exceeded even their expectation yeah because they're still alive to see this I mean look no further look no further than than my candidacy for Congress I mean I'm running as a Republican in a district that's that the voting population is predominantly white and I won the primary the Republican primary by 30 plus points and it was obviously mostly white people voting for me. And at no time did I even really worry about that or think about it. I mean, these people were here because they felt like this is the guy that I want to represent in my district and I don't care what he looks like. I don't care that he's the youngest. I don't care that he's black. I, I admire his service. I think he's a kind of, the kind of leader that we need for the future. Sign me up. Do you know before I ran, there were three different people that sat me down and said, now, Wesley, you know, now these, now, these were three white people and they were 60 plus, said, I've heard some grumblings kind of throughout, you know, kind of throughout the district that, you know, we've never seen, we never had a person of color that could come out of a Republican primary, you know, and and there's some, there's some concern there. And I said, no, there's not. (laughs) Because this is, this is America in 2020, this is an America in 1960, 1970, and because you and I have seen this very rapid progression and change, this is our reality. That didn't offend me that these people actually had that conversation because I don't seek to be offended. Hey,
1: man, you're left behind. You got a flip phone. The, you, <laughs> you, you still pulling out a flip phone? That's okay.
0: You still call it the Facebook. See, That's okay. You, you, you can't you put, call you it, can't it the can't
1: Facebook. Put in front of, it's not the it, it, it's just. It's just, the, it's just it's Facebook. Just Facebook. <laughs> it's not the Facebook. It's not, the,
0: it's it's not, not, not it. the Twitter. It's never been the Twitter. You know, or, or anytime you hear this, I don't do that social media stuff. Well, you're just not dialed in. Okay,
1: okay. Like, that's okay. Like, like, like you're not, you're just, you're, you're choosing to not be dialed in.
0: And that's a choice to make. Yes. But the world is more of the way we see it right now. And this race actually proved that. I think another example is actually Tim Scott in South Carolina. Yes. I mean, what are we actually talking about? Are we talking about the way people look, or are we talking about their credentials and their values today? It's a very special time to be in. Yeah. And I love the fact that you brought up Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I love the fact that you brought that up. Because without him, we wouldn't be here. We are now living his dream. Yes, we are. And it's not perfect. No. It's not perfect. We still have some issues to work through. But you've coined my favorite phrase of all time. What's the best time to live in America? Tomorrow. Tomorrow tomorrow because we've progressively gotten better along the way and yes you know times like this past summer and yes we've seen we've we've had our bumps along the way but if somebody were to take a snapshot in time and see where we were when the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964 to see us sitting here right now doing this podcast what that's one generation No one does that. No one does that.
1: Well, and this goes back to, we've said this before. When I think about, once again, especially during this Black History Month, being very proud to be black. Yes, we are. Dude, we're, what, less than 13% of the population? Yes. Watch TV. Yes. Look at the outsized impact on media, society. Entertainment, music, sports, music, sports, especially. Would you, once again, if you were an alien, yes, and you came out here and you just flipped on the TV, yes, would you believe that this is a people who
0: are less than a quarter of the population? Yes, never. And and just think, I mean, I mean, could could you imagine a dunk contest with no black people in it? You mean a layup contest?
1: (laughs) you know, three point shooter, three point three. <laughs> <laughs> well, And I, I think, too, I mean, the irony of e- even when you talk about your election and, and the idea of, of change, too, one of the things that I continuously think about is even over the course of time, I'll never forget when people were so surprised that we're republicans. And certainly even you and I in the spectrum of republicanism are in different places in the spectrum of republicanism. I would agree with that. Yeah. But how surprised people were that we were republicans even when you decided to run. And I and I'm just it was fascinating to me because I'm kind of like so the southern baptist upbringing in <laughs> military and it it didn't,
0: he, that didn't it, didn't. it didn't give it away. It never clicked. It, 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 clicked. it didn't click. That didn't give it away. Like, like we are the kid that said prayers before we ate lunch every day.
1: And and that's what's so interesting is when you talk about change. There's also this piece too. There's there's two types of change, I believe. There's a change that's happening to you or me. That's you know the microcosm of society, and then there's a change of everything that's everything happening else. around you. Yes. And if if you choose to not be a part of that look you can choose to not be a part of it it and doesn't mean be, it's not happening it doesn't mean it's not happening and you will be left behind it was like charlottesville virginia i'll never forget my reactions to charlottesville virginia versus mom's reactions to charlottesville virginia after that happened after you have these white supremacists marching not very many of them yes not broad support at all <laughs> Mom's first inclination and a lot of other people I know's first inclination was, "Wow, you still have racism in America." You go ahead. Yeah. My first inclination is, "Man, these guys are screwed. They are they're never, never going to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to get blown up are on all the internet
0: over social media right now.
1: <laughs> they better get reconstructive surgery to change their faces because hey, their their views
0: done. are completely unacceptable yeah. in our country." It's completely unacceptable. Man. But Ren, I'll, I'll take it even one step further. So, so, so these guys, you know, they, they put on their, their like Nazi or racist, whatever starter kit that they got from Walmart. And then they do this in the middle of the night, which is, by the way, it's their right to do so. It's just, this is a free country. And, and they did it in the name of protesting a statue that was getting taken down. But here's what's crazy about it no matter what they did, the statue was still coming down. You lost. Take the L. It's over. You lost. So why would the media give these people all this attention for something that was already done? The times have already changed. We've already moved on. It's just, this isn't an issue. This is this is less of an issue about I can't believe we're still seeing this in America. It's more of an issue of these guys. These guys can't win anymore.
1: No, I've got and I've got a new nickname for them. I know what I'm going to call him from now on. This is going to be good. I'm calling flip phones. <laughs> <laughs> so these guys are—they're they're, they're flip, flip phones. Hey, man! Like, like you're behind. The times have passed you up. And there's a part of me—I think it's really easy for us as a culture to get really mad and to want to have conversations about it. I don't even want to waste my breath on on flip phones. I'm on to the iPhone 12, man. Yeah. Yes. A flip phone has a crappy camera. It's like mine's better. I'm done with that. Yes. Like, wh- like why am I even spending spending bandwidth on a flip phone? I don't. I don't I have, 4, I have 4K. I don't let my kids play with, with flip, flip phones. phones. <laughs> <laughs> they can at least get an outdated model of an iPhone. I can't let my kids play with smartphones only in play, our house. Play, play with flip phones, smartphones right? Smartphones only in our house. So it's it's kind of this idea where where it's we're giving credence to people who have already lost the culture
0: war. Why? They've lost. I got a crazy story for you. Interesting story, in my opinion. Um, when I was at Fort Rucker, Alabama, I had a flight out of, out of Montgomery. Montgomery is the capital of Alabama. Drove down to park my car at the airport there, and my flight was delayed like five hours. So I had some extra time, and so I would just I went to the capital. And this is— Did you go lift when you had that extra time? I mean, bro. <laughs>
1: got some extra time. Uh, let me get some whey protein and uh, put in a quick
0: set. A quick set. <laughs> Sets. Plural. <laughs> uh, so I went to the Capitol Building just to go check it out. This is actually a Saturday. And just wanted to go walk around, check it out, see if I can learn something. So I go there, kind of started looking around. There was nobody there. It was actually closed for the day. But the gentleman, can't remember his name. This is, again, this is circa 2005. Ish around that time, gentleman was there. Came around, older black guy. Uh, came and said, "Hey, how may I help you?" I was kind of just kind of roaming around. I guess I guess looking back on, it, it's kind of weird. Capitol building is closed, and this was a random dude just like rummaging around and wandering around the Capitol. It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. That's that stop. I said, "Hey, sir." I said, "Hey, sir." Yeah, I'm actually just I just wanted to see the the Capitol. Well, my flight got delayed. Uh, I'm a student at Fort Rucker, Alabama, and uh, just, I don't know. I, I was just wondering to see if I get a tour. He saw my West Point ring. Hmm. And he goes, "Did you go to West Point?" I said, "I said yes, sir." He goes, "You're at Fort Rucker." I said, "Yes, sir. I'm training to fly helicopters at Fort Rucker." He goes, "Well, I'll show you around." Hmm. So this is a young. This was not at that time when he was a young man. He was a former Tuskegee Airman. What? And he was kind of in charge of watching over the Capitol, kind of doing the day-to-day stuff, making sure the grounds were kept, um, making sure that everybody kind of did their job. He kind of oversaw the entire operation, and I happened to run into this guy. He unlocks the Capitol building and gives me a full full tour of the Capitol. And that's where I learned about George Wallace. Now, we all know who George Wallace was. and I think this is certainly pertinent and germane to what we're talking about, given the fact it's Black History Month. And we all knew some of, the, uh, some of his uh, flip phone antiquated views on, on race in this country right. and what he perpetuated. He was a flip phone. In ter- he was a flip phone yeah. in, terms, in terms of hate. Nokia. This can't gentleman. He can't flip. He can't <laughs> <me> flip. <it. laughs> so we're talking, and we were, he, he's talking about the Tuskegee Airmen and what his role was and what he did, and it was just a fascinating experiment, uh, experience. And I couldn't believe that I just stumbled upon this because my flight, because my flight was delayed. Sure. And it was truly a time that I got to witness like an, an American treasure it's supposed to happen, man. Let's start telling me about George Wallace, and how George Wallace paid for him to go to college. What? He talked about how George Wallace made sure that he was fed every day, and if that if he didn't have a place to stay, he provided it for him. He and his siblings. Now, George Wallace obviously did not want this to get out. Yeah. Obviously. But he said, I got to go to college. I got to become a Tuskegee Airman. And a lot of that is is thanks to George Wallace. Now here's the catch. He could only go to a black school. Ooh. I tell that story because how complicated are we?
1: Because we're neither all good. And we're Nor we're all bad. bad. Right? It reminds me to the reading of, of Crazy Horse and the Indians. It reminds me of Andrew Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> Is mercilessly decimating people. Kills a kid's family. His army kills a kid's family and he adopts a child and raises the child as his own kid. How complicated is that?
0: We are so complex. And I want people to recognize the complexity and not do, as you so eloquently put earlier, putting people, either you're black or you're white, either you're up or you're down, either you're left or you're right. We are complex. Well,
1: and I tell you, as time goes on, especially from a race standpoint, that complexity gets more and more and more intertwined and interesting. Yes, Once again, as I said, I have two biracial nieces. I have two biracial children. Over time, and this is where there's a lot of these pieces that are going to write themselves over time, because it's really easy to point at people and say, "Oh, well, those people do X, Y, and Z," but when those people are all of a sudden your kinfolk, it changes it's a the game. It changes the perspective changes, changes the game, because even a generation ago, if you think about it, if you now have have biracial kids. So people are, 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 are living with biracial grandkids and they're having to come to grips with some of the things that they thought that might or might not have been right. And it doesn't mean that they'll even get there. It doesn't mean that there's room for them to grow. They might just be flip phones. Yes. Guess what? You can try to install an iPhone 12 camera into a flip phone,
0: it ain't gonna work. It's not enough bandwidth. But you know what? I'm every now and again, every now and again, those flip phones do turn into iPhones. Every now and again, let's give people a chance to upgrade. Yeah. Now they might not choose to do it. Yeah. But give them a chance. Yeah. Let's let's end on MLK. Say something smart about MLK. Please. Say something
1: smart about MLK. I've seen the mountaintop. I may not reach the promised land, but I want you to know tonight, we as a people will.